0: What shelly Ann Fraser Price is doing right now should be impossible. Before the 2021 season, only three women have ever run sub 10.70 in the 100 meter dash. That's Marion Jones, Carmelita Jeter, and Flojo. Since then, shelly Ann Fraser Price has gone sub 10.7 seven total times. Those three women that I mentioned before did it a total of six times. She is showing that she is the greatest sprinter of all time and there is no debate. Also, she's doing this at 36 years old. The oldest woman to go sub 107 before this was 28. She's proving that time is nothing and she's able to compete at a very high level at an age that people didn't think was possible. If you look at the top 10 list for both the men and the women, to be in the top 10 for the men, the average age is 25.4 years old. On the women, it's 27.5 years old. She is competing at a high level nearly a decade older than the average person on this list. While many people think that we've never seen an athlete like Shelly before and we'll never see one again, Really? That might not be the case, and this could be the start of something very, very special. I'm Colin, and I'm the host of Track World News, presented by Track Barn, and today we have a very special episode talking all about Shelley Ann Fraser Price. We're gonna be looking at the Commonwealth Games and see what the United States can learn from them. Also, we're gonna be talking about college transferring and what the future of track and field and recruiting for the NCAA could look like. You're not gonna wanna miss this episode. It's crazy to think, but summer is finally over. If you don't wanna be looking crazy on your first day back to school or on your first day back to fall training, the sponsor of today's video, Manscaped, has you covered. Manscaped just sent me their brand new performance package, which comes with the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Look, I've tried a lot of razors in my day, but the Lawnmower 4.0 is just different. Its ceramic blade helps reduce grooming accidents, LED light allows you to shave anytime, anywhere, and since it's waterproof, you can even take it in the shower if you want. You know what they say, look good, feel good, feel good, run good you want to show up to fall training and dominate like a beast, make sure you use code TWN at checkout when shopping with Manscaped and have an awesome fall training. We'll see you there. Hey everyone. So this episode was actually made before Shellyanne Frazier Price ran her sub 10.7 in Hungary, so we talk about the number six as if she had done it six times, when in reality she has actually done it now seven times, uh, which just goes to show how impressive her year and her career has been. We also talk about the Men's 100 from uh, Poland, but uh, in reality there's not too much to talk about. Same thing with the Men's 100 in Hungary, uh, it was Bromel and Bracy that were going one, 2 not a whole lot to talk about there, so I wanted to just give you that quick note before the episode gets started. At the Poland Diamond League meet, Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price wins the 100 with a world-leading time of 10.66. Aliyah Hobbs comes in second with a 10.94. Tolu comes in third with an 11.0. Then we have Lukin Kemper with an 11.1. Williams with an 11-11, White with 11-15, Melissa Jefferson 11-18, Twanisha Terry 11-20, and then Morrison with an 11-20 as well. And so, like we said, what Shelly and Fraser Price is doing right now is unprecedented so i took a look at some of the biggest icons that we have when it comes to track and field and so right now uh shelly ann fraser price is in a world of her own on the women's side with having six of the 10 fastest times or 12 fastest times we've ever seen all coming out of just shelly ann frazier price and so i created this graph taking a look at some of the the greats when it comes to sprinting on both the men and the women's side. So uh, here we have Shelly-Ann Frazier-Price, Carmelita Jetter, Veronica Campbell-Brown, Usain Bolt, Justin Gatlin, and Carl Lewis. If you're listening to the audio version, uh, you might wanna go and take a look on YouTube. I have this graph that you can see. Uh, And so what you'll notice is that many of these athletes run their fastest time, sometime in their their mid-20s, and then after that, uh, they'll continue running until their, their late 30s and their times begin to go up as they start to run slower because that's just the natural way that things go but when you take a look at what shelly and Fraser price is doing right now not only is she maintaining her speed which many of these athletes haven't been able to do she's getting faster because it goes the same for not only women but men as well when you take a look at usain bolt i mean he ran his world record time at 22 and then it just started trending in the upwards direction uh, after that you know, same with Carl Lewis. I mean, Carl Lewis ran some of his fastest times early on in his career, and then it began to go and start trending in the upwards direction. And so, what we're seeing from Shelly and Fraser Price is an anomaly. No one else has been doing what she's been doing. There's only been three athletes that have ever ran a top 10 times in their 30s. So, one Shelly and Fraser Price two, Merlene Adi, and three, Justin Gatlin. They're the only three to do it. Gatlin ran it when he was 33. Um, Merlene Adi ran it when she was 36. And then Shelly-Ann fraser price ran it when she was 34. And so other other than that, everyone else is in their 20s when they're they're running. Like I said, the average age for a top 10 time on the women's side is 27 and a half years old. The average age for the men is 25.4 years old. So we're starting to see a trend here where athletes are running faster at an older age. We used to believe, and when it came to sprinting, that hey, if you're gonna be a fast sprinter, you have to start running these great times before you're 24. If you look at some of the most recent additions on at least the men's side when it comes to the top 10 list, you have uh, Fred Curley and Trayvon, Brum- and Trayvon Brumel. Both of these athletes being 26 and 27 when they run on the top 10 list. And so that's showing that's two years over what the average is. And this average is taking into consideration those two times ran by those athletes. And so if you take them out and replace them with the next uh, person up, it would be going down dramatically. And so it's showing that athletes are finding ways to not only run faster longer, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, women running elite times into their 40s at this point. Because right now, I mean, Shelley Ann Frazier-Price 35 years old and she's still running 10.66 these are times we never thought was possible. I mean, so I wouldn't be surprised if there are athletes right now that are going to be able to run elite times by the time they're 40. Justin Gatlin would have had the opportunity to run sub 10 at 40 years old if he decided to continue running this year because he was still running in the nine nines last season when he was 39 years old. But it's not only that on that end of the spectrum, we're seeing it on the flip side as well. Athletes are running faster earlier. Let's take two examples of this. Let's see Tobogo and Arian Knighton. Both of these athletes being 18 and 19 years old are running times that we thought was impossible for people of that age to do. In the 100, Tobogo running 991 and on the 200 side, Arian Knighton running a 1949. And I think that we're gonna see them continue to extend their career as they're more smart with how many times they, they run. Uh, training is getting better, recovery is getting better, diet's getting better, sleep is getting better. All of these things are improving, which is allowing athletes to extend their career and extend the amount of years they're able to compete and, and all of that stuff. And so they're taking care of their bodies better and they're able to run faster for a longer period time. Shelly and Fraser Price is going to be the start of what we're seeing right now of athletes being able to run elite times at older ages because it, it's unheard of to be, you know, running 10 sixes uh, at all let alone at 35 years old, and so the, the another question is like, hey, is she going to be able to go under that, get into the 10 fives? Because she does have 10.60 as her best. uh It's the the men's hundred. Uh, I I didn't take too much out of it. I mean, Trayvon Bromell wins with the 9.95. Bracy second 10.0. Akeem Blake third 10.0. Coleman fourth 10.13. johan Blake 10.13. Uh, Elijah Hall 10.14. Sonny Brown 10.15. Sambina 10.21. Uh, Kyrie King 10:29, and I, I'm not taking really anything from this race to be honest. For Bracy and Bromel. I mean, the it seemed like the weather wasn't great, um, and the the track looked like it was wet. And these two are expected to, to go one-two. Bramell and Bracy are expected to go one-two. I'm not like if you told me Bracy won, you told me Bromel won, I wouldn't have been surprised either way. Like those two are supposed to go one-two. I'm not taking anything when it comes to it from uh, from them. What I would be taking some notes from are is Christian Coleman's performance. So uh, Christian Coleman is kind of not been in the right situations as of recently. He runs a 10.13, or was that a 10.13? Yeah, 10.13. So he's not really trending in the right direction here. Now you do have to come, p- take into consideration he is coming off of an 18-month suspension, so it's been a long time since he's competed, uh, and it's a similar type of thing that we saw uh, when you take a look at um Gatlin's return like it took it took some time for for him to get back into the swing of things here so you know it's it's understandable that that you're you're not going to be running at your best but it's uh i'm i'm hoping that this year is just kind of a a wash year for him where it's like look I, I'm coming off suspension. It, it just wasn't, it wasn't my year uh, You know, when it, when it comes down to it, and we'll get after it next season. Because when you look at the times that he's running, it's like, you're better than this. Like, the Christian Coleman that we know is not the Christian Coleman we're seeing this year. Like, this guy, like we said before, he had never, in his entire career, he had never ran a 10-0 or above race three times in a row. He had never done it uh, since he broke 10 seconds. And now, he's re- he hasn't ran a, a nine-second race back-to-back back once. Like, so, this isn't the Christian Coleman that we know. Like, he is running slow as hell compared to how good he is. Like, we know he's better than this. And so, um, my big question is... What's the Christian Coleman we're gonna get next this year? I'm 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 cashed out on on him right now. Like he's just not he's not running as as well as we know he can. Like he's ran his, his 9.87 once. He did that the 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 U.S. Championship. But other than that, we're seeing a bunch of 10 ones. You know, 10.09s. 1013s, like all of these things, they're just not. It's not Christian Coleman-esque, and so uh, it's understandable. You know, you're you've been off the track for a little while now. When it comes to competition, and all these other people are now new names that you weren't worrying you didn't have to worry about when you were you were there like he didn't have to worry about Trayvon Burmell back in 2019 same with like Marvin Bracey he wasn't worried about Fred Curley like these guys are either injured or not competing in his event and now these are three guys that you got to worry about and so it's a whole new situation whole new faces whole new names that he's you know going up against and it's uh it's going uh it's clearly showing it's just not not things just aren't working for him and like, like I said, I think it's fine. Uh, I, I think next year will be a bigger deterrent on, or not deterrent, determining factor on how's the remainder of his career gonna go? Is this just kind of like a dry spell or is this gonna be the new kind of Coleman we see? I don't think it is. I think he'll figure stuff out and next year will be a better year for him. But. You know, it's it's fine. Like in, a, in whole, in all other sports, you're allowed to have a bad year uh, in basketball, football, all that you're allowed to have a down year, and your legacy isn't tarnished. It's just crazy in track and field. You have a bad year, and everyone's like, uh, you're you're never gonna win again. Uh, you're gonna be you're gonna be garbage for the rest of your career, which. I think it's dumb, uh, but uh, I'm hoping he gets a bounce back because this season just just hasn't been hasn't been it for him. The Commonwealth Games for a second, so uh, we won't be going over like performances and times and all that stuff too much. I know that obviously Elaine Thompson, hurrah, did the double there, and uh, you had uh, Richards winning in the 200. Like those are performances that were fantastic and definitely uh, notable, ones to to take a look at. But what we're going to be talking about mainly are the is the presentation of the Commonwealth Games, the attendance and how United States track and field can learn something from what the Commonwealth Games just did. So, uh there's been a couple videos going around of Commonwealth of them having an entirely packed full stadium of 30 30,000 fans and that's what it was like for pretty much the entire the entire meet where just Tons of athletes are, or not athletes, tons of fans are at the Commonwealth Games. There are tons of fans that were in the that were in the stands there. Like it was, it was completely, completely filled out, Um, and it was like that for even events that were non-finals. Like even during like decathlon, high jump, uh, it was, it was filled out. And so it goes to show that there is an ability to have these amount of fans here in the United States. And so, when people are like, oh man, track and field isn't big here, it never will be, it's always going to be lame, there's never going to be people here, mm, I don't buy that, because I'm seeing it in other disciplines. And sure, I don't think every single track meet is going to look like that, because every single basketball game doesn't look like that, every single sporting event another. other you know things don't look like that like go to a a jets football game you know against the jaguars it's not going to be filled out you know but if you go to uh you know playoff games or other rivalry matchups it, it will be and so i think that there is an ability to have much more much better sellouts here um and so i think it's a it's a few different things so one is the education of track and field to the fans and and that's directed mainly through the media uh and so one thing that they do better in the UK and Europe is the education of the sport for their fans and just the overall media attention that it has. Track and field is presented as one of the top sports when it comes to to Europe so it's over in like they're they're talking about it a lot more it's in their their media media outlets people know who these athletes are in the United States, that's not the case. Uh, in order to be broadcasted at all when it comes to Sports Center or ESPN or anything like that, one, you have to be like a super notable name doing something super crazy, um, whether that's for the good or for the bad. Uh, you know, we, we saw Shakira Richardson getting a lot of talks when she you know, got caught with her, you know, marijuana suspension. Um, but when we see great things, we don't get a lot of attention. Like, for example, Fred Curley winning the world championships. There really was any no, um, you know, articles or anything on on Sports Center, uh, you know, about about what Fred Curley was doing. So it's it doesn't it doesn't get a lot of media attention. Also, take a look at Sports Illustrated. So before, uh, if you take a look at the cover athletes for Sports Illustrated, there have been 74. Track and field athletes on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, the most have been Usain Bolt. So during the Usain Bolt era, he was on, I believe, like seven or eight different covers for, for Usain Bolt. Since the Bolt era has ended, there has only been two athletes on the cover, and those were both high school uh, national athlete of the year. So it was uh, Caitlin Tuohy and Sydney McLaughlin those are the only other two there's never been any professional athletes outside of Usain Bolt on it before the Usain Bolt uh, was on it back in the 80s and 90s was when we saw a lot of athletes on it even non like elite athletes there were just random college athletes uh, you know there that weren't notable for you know the size that we know like athletes that are much smaller than what a Fred Curley is today uh, was on it back in the the 80s and the the 70s and the 60s, and so um, there, it's just not a notable you know sport, and so that comes from the media, and so that's what you know we're trying to do here at Track World News, like get more people involved in in the in the space, but uh, it's also something where these larger media outlets have to have to have some dedication to it, like will we get some dedicated segments for track and field if the answer is yes then you're going to see more people watching it but if the answer is no then it's going to maintain and stay how it is because you need to you need to have better exposure all it's going on primarily during the summer and spring months this is when we don't have a lot of sports going on like right now it's, it's baseball and track and field really but we don't get a lot of things on track and field we're seeing more things about basketball free agency and where's kevin durant gonna go we've been talking about this for a month now. Of oh Where's Kevin Durant gonna get traded? He demanded a trade. It's not gonna change you, the, the story you reported yesterday is not gonna be any different than the story you're reporting today So let's how about instead of just talking about that Talk about some actual sports that are going on like track and field and, and getting some more notoriety there because it is exciting But it's you're not you're not talking about it uh, And so that's that's something that's that's kind of frustrating and I wish that we would see Because It's like look what are you gonna do talk about LeBron how this impacts LeBron's legacy for the five millionth time instead of you know some other sports that are going on like please like let's let's change it up a little bit here so there is a possibility uh, for it to improve Uh, will it I don't know I think that USATF is gonna have to have a better relationship with ESPN, uh, because NBC, their sports networks aren't, aren't big enough and we don't have any relationship with ESPN, you know, which has you know, these relationships with sports Center and all that type of stuff, so it's just not gonna be a priority for them to, to put it on there. Um, you know, same thing with the NHL, the NHL was on NBC and then they moved it over to ESPN, more people watched it, more people were involved, it was talked about more because it was their product. And so that's what we have to do when it comes to track and field, have a better relationship when it comes to ESPN and all these people, so it can they're now incentivized to broadcast our sport. Um, now, finally, I want to talk about the college track and field movement that we have been seeing. So there have been a lot of fluctuating parts when it comes to college track and field right now. Uh, and not just track and field but just overall sports in general first when it comes to the institutions many of these colleges are changing conferences you got schools moving from the big 12 to the sec you got schools in the pac 12 moving to the big 10 you've got schools moving in and out and changing conferences and locations and like it's the big five or the, the power five is now really like the power four because the pac 12 is really you know diminishing with the amount of teams that are leaving and so it's just been a lot of movement when it comes to the school side of things on top of that we're also seeing a lot of movement from the athlete side of things if you know if you haven't been living under a rock you'll know that you know arkansas florida and auburn have been just like eating up all of the transfer recruits as of recently like if you're an athlete that's been in the transfer portal and you're a top tier athlete you're probably either going to arkansas auburn or florida because they've been just taking up all of the recruits there this has a lot of impact on how track and field is going to be moving forward and just college sports is moving in forward and let me tell you why or first how we got here and then what the impact of these transferring and everything is going to have for track and field moving forward so uh right now the ch- recently what was it a few i guess like three four years ago now uh nil deals became allowed in the ncaa so athletes were allowed to start making money off their name image and likeness and allowing more opportunities for student athletes to make money because everyone knows the the quintessential broke college kid. You know, these schools are making money off of their names and, and these athletes going there. And so it's allowing people to take that power back and some of the money back as well. And so uh, ever since then, that's when we started seeing more movement of things, whether it be schools trying to get larger, um, you know, go to larger conferences, which would then get you larger recruits, which then gets you more FaceTime. And so we're seeing a lot of movement recently on the institutional side. On the student athlete side, we're seeing a lot of movement as well. So if you're not in the power, fo- so I didn't know this, you know, at, at my point, cause I went to a very small school, But if you're a Power 5 athlete, you're making uh, a stipend, depending on, I think it depends on like your grades and, you know, your standing on everything. But um, you're making a stipend from your your school just by being a student athlete. And depending on the school you're going to, where you are, you could be making anywhere from $2,000 to $6,000 a year uh, just for being a student athlete, whether it be with a certain GPA or, or being in a certain conference. Like if you're in the SEC, I think, and you have like a 3.0, you make $6,000 a year. It doesn't matter whether you're a national champion, you're a walk-on, you're making that money. Uh, and so you're seeing you know, these schools being able to offer student athletes more and more money. And so uh, now some of these athletes that would traditionally maybe go to a smaller school, you know, a non-Power 5 school, now it's like, oh, well, I would like to go to a non-Power 5 school. I probably would be making, you know, I would probably improve my performance better. It might be a better fit for me, but I have this opportunity to make some money. So maybe I go to a Power 5 school that may not be the right fit. And so these are, not I'm not talking about the names that we all know, these giant, you know, really talented athletes. I'm talking about those athletes that they don't really score in the conference. You know, they're they're just going there and, and competing and maybe doing well. Maybe they do score, you know, they get seventh or eighth. and you know, maybe in the, their, you know, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10 conference championship, but in other words, like not athletes that we really know of because that's who majority of these, majority of student athletes really are. Um, and so it's like, well, your, your, your performance may have impacted and maybe your grades did as well. Like maybe you were better suited for a school that was a non-Power Five, but because they had this opportunity, you went to a larger school and maybe it didn't, it didn't work out for you. Um, and then there, there's other things you gotta take a look at of how this is impacting recruiting. So now we're seeing a lot more student athletes or a lot more schools utilize the transfer portal versus recruiting out of high school. Why? Because you know what you're getting with a student athlete that transfers. If you see a person run a 999 in in college, you, you know that that's what you're getting. You know what that person has ran, you know how they perform at national championships, you know everything, so you're not guessing. When you're recruiting at a high school, you're guessing because the high school life versus the college life is very, very different. And so it's like, hey, would I rather take an athlete that's proven, I've seen them compete at the NCA level before, and recruit them, or would you rather recruit an athlete out of high school where you don't know what they're gonna do? It's a wild card. You have a good idea, you're hoping that your recruiting styles you know, work out, but at the end of the day, you don't know how it's gonna work out. If I was a coach, I would say, oh no, yeah, let's work on the transfers. Let's get, let's get them as, as many as possible because that's we they're guaranteed we know what, what we're gonna be getting when we get there versus high school, you know, might fizzle out, might not work out. They may transfer their own. So um, we're seeing a lot more student athletes, you know, getting poached from these larger schools because it's like, hey, would you rather come to our school? We have a lot more money, we have a lot more opportunity, uh, you know, it's a better name, NIL, you can come here. You know, and so you're seeing athletes transferring everywhere. Um, me personally, I don't think it's a bad idea. Like I, like, I wish that I was a student, a- I wish that I was talented enough and I wish that I was a student athlete when this was going on because then I think it's, it's allowing for more athlete movement. Like coaches can go wherever they want. Like if you're, if you're a coach and you want to leave this school and go to a coach at another school the next year, and then the next year you wanna coach somewhere else, and coach somewhere else, coach somewhere else, you can go and you can follow the money. But if you're a student athlete, you can't really do that. Like there, there's limits and you know, it, it, when you're a scholarship athlete, like that was all that you could, that you would get, you would make your scholarship. But now like it's allowing these student athletes to make money off their name. And I think it's a, it's a great idea because we're seeing a lot of them, you know, elevating the brands to a way that, um, you know it's getting more in the mainstream I mean, you know some of the biggest nil people you know matthew bowling masai russell like some of the you know they're two of the biggest names when it comes to the you know uh advertising and, and nil nil deal stuff so i think that it's great for the college athletes because you're now able to finally make money when you know hey many of these student athletes may not want to do the pro track stuff or may not even be talented enough for pro track but it works for NIL and they're able to make their money and then go into the professional world and you know kind of work from there But you have to look at it where you know student athletes are leaving. Like I like I said, I went to a very small school, and oftentimes the top talent from our school would get would transfer and go to a larger school because it was better you know better opportunities that they saw or you know you're competing for a larger a larger school. So it's just like that would happen pretty often. And now I can only imagine when there's the NIL aspect of things, that's going to happen even more with student athletes leaving because it's like oh wait I can go to a like a place with a better opportunity. Opportunities and all this all that and I can make money oh yeah I'm, I'm gonna do that because the athlete from you know uh, an SEC school is gonna make a whole lot more money than athlete from you know a school in the in the MAC or in the NEC or in the Sun Belt. like they're just not gonna make as much money because of the school that they're at and so um, uh, this is gonna have an impact and I'm wondering what thing what student-athlete it what it means to be a student-athlete is gonna look like in the next few years because it's uh it's it's changing man like it's it's changing a lot and so i'm wondering in 5 6 years you know when nil has run its course even more like is it going to be you know pretty much you have to if you're getting recruited if you're not like a top Five recruit you're not going to go to power five you're going to go through you know whether it be juco or, or a low level d d1 school and then eventually transfer into these larger schools like i wonder what it's gonna it's gonna be because it's uh it's changing a lot it is changing an awful lot and it's very interesting to to see how it's going to impact the rest of, of college sports for sure but um, let me know what you think what do you think about shelly and frazier price commonwealth games track and field as well as college track i would love to hear that that's going to do it from us here this episode of track world news if you enjoyed make sure you leave a like comment subscribe helps us know that you're enjoying all the content have a good one peace